0: Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on Josh Bostick. Josh was on the podcast earlier this year. His prior episode will be linked in the show notes, so you can go back and listen to that. Josh lives in Fort Worth, Texas with his wife and young son, and he is less than two years into his type 1 diabetes diagnosis. He's really got an incredible story. As soon as he figured out that he had type 1, he did a lot of research and tried to figure out the best way to manage his blood sugars, and that's what led him ultimately to fasting when he was doing some basal rate testing. And he is still a very regular faster. He does one meal a day at this point. We talk about some interesting developments that have happened since the last time he was on the podcast. Interestingly, he sort of had a delayed honeymoon period where he didn't need very much insulin. And as he was coming out of the honeymoon period, he talks a little bit about how fasting helped him get his settings right again. He's had to use fasting a lot for just getting his basal rates right and and other settings. So we talk a lot about that. And we also talk about his diet, and how his diet may or may not evolve over time. He turns the tables on me and asks me some questions, which was also very interesting. Josh just is a, a real student of managing his diabetes, and it shows, as we discuss his A1C at his last checkup. He's really cracked the code on how to manage it, and I'm really impressed with him. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. It was really, really fun to catch up with Josh and just hear about his success. Hey, Josh. So good to see you again.
1: You too. You too. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited to get an update from you. The last time you were here was earlier this year. And at that point, um, you had just sort of gotten into fasting and now you're at your one year fasting anniversary. Is that right?
1: I am. Yeah. I think I'd been doing it pretty seriously for two or three months when I was on last time. And um, I had started seriously in November. So yeah, we're right at about a year now. Incredible. And I'll
0: link up in the show notes your prior interview because people should definitely listen to that because a lot has changed between then and now. But just as like a baseline for people, um, maybe you can just tell your age, um, how long you've had type one, you know, the type of uh, management you have. I don't know if you're still on the tandem and you know, just ba- basic stuff like that.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I am 30. I am coming up on my two-year diagnosis in February. Not 100% sure how long I had had it before. Had a bunch of symptoms and had been off um, for a while. But in February is when I actually had blood work done and, you know, got the actual diagnosis of type 1. Um, So coming up on two years on that, as far as uh, management, I'm on the T-Slim pump and the Dexcom G6 right now. I did manual and or the injections manually for the first nine months or a while. I I tried to get on a pump for a while and it, it just took a good bit to get actually on one and um been on tandem my, my whole time. I've been on a pump.
0: Yeah. One of the things I was listening back to your prior interview that I'm just I'm still really impressed with is just the fact that you uh from the time you got di- incorrectly diagnosed to like now, you're very uh, persistent with what, you know, you need, like for instance, getting the right diagnosis, getting on a pump when they didn't want to give you a pump. Cause you were doing so well with the multiple daily injections. Like, you know, you've been just really, and finding fasting and you're really, the thing I like the most about you is that you just really take control and you advocate for what you want, which is like the number one skill to be successful as a type one.
1: It, it is definitely. it's something that, you know, I think everybody who has any kind of medical thing going on needs to really try to dig in and understand is, you know, it's not just going into the doctor's office and taking everything that they say to heart. I mean, they're obviously trying to do their best and they see so many people every every day that, you know, their time's so limited, but it is on, on us to do our homework and try to figure out what is truly best for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so you're on the tandem. Are you still using Novolog in that pump?
1: Yes. Yep. Still using Novolog.
0: Uh, before we get into other stuff did you see they're coming out with like a new tandem that's really small did you see that I
1: did yes I already texted my trainer and said get me on that thing yeah that looks pretty yeah, really cool. yeah it just it seems so you know out of the way because um the one now has the screen which is okay but I use mm-hmm. my phone more than anything just to give my bolus and stuff so you know just having one that's even smaller basically just the cartridge um I'm really excited for that one
0: Yeah, that'll be super cool. And you know, I'm on the Omnipod, um, which I like because it's small and it's just on your body. But part of me, um, one thing that I think people don't realize about the tube pumps is like, the nice thing about it is that you can just unhook it completely. Like there are times when I don't want my pump on me, you know, and sometimes it gets in the way. So I'm like, "Hmm, maybe I'll switch back over to a tube pump.
1: Yeah, I originally had tried to get on Omnipod and my insurance wouldn't cover it. Tandem Tandem was their like preferred pump. Um, And so, you know, I just took with what I could get. And I actually, I really enjoy it now just for that same purpose that you said, you know, if if I ever like, if I go in the sauna or something like that and I want to take it off, I can just take it off and plug it back in later and really don't hit that many doorknobs or, you know, I've got a 18 month old son now and he's never just yanked it out or anything like that. The only true time I've done it is changing and I just totally forgot and it was in my sweatshirt hoodie pocket and just pulled it up and out came the infusion site.
0: Yeah stuff like that can definitely happen. The omnipod like you said with like a sauna or something like that. There are times like if you're in a hot tub or you just don't like it'll just fry your insulin. So yeah it's like exactly uh, you have to do so much planning around stuff like that. I, I actually kind of wish I could take this pump off sometimes. So that's pretty cool that they're coming out with that little tiny one. I can't wait to see what it looks like when it's available.
1: I'll definitely let you know. I, I, it's one that I really want to try to get, and I think my my warranty should be up by that time. So I'll uh, I'll let you know.
0: Cool. And you're on G six or G seven of Dexcom?
1: I'm on G six now. I think my next endo appointment they'll probably change me to the G seven. Okay. Um I've been getting a bunch of notifications from t- or from Dexcom saying like, you know, it's time to to move move on to G seven. That they're getting the clearance and everything, and it should start rolling out. So.
0: Yeah, have to let me know how you like it, because uh, I've heard mixed results on it. Like, I'm still on six. I could have, my my endo wrote me a script for the seven, and I chose not to fill it, because I was like, I heard so many conflicting reports about how people liked it.
1: Yeah, I have too.
0: Well, let me know when, if you get it, if you like it. Um, I will, yeah. I'll definitely take that into consideration, because I, I don't know anybody personally who has a G7, because everybody I know, somehow I've convinced to stay on the G6, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I've got some supplies stocked up, um, for the G6. So I'm thinking I might try the G7 just because it is so much smaller that, you know, if it did work out, um, it would be really nice to have, but, um, yeah, I am a little nervous as well.
0: Yeah. So when you last came on, like we discussed, you'd only been fasting for a couple months. You're now a full year into fasting. And also during that time you had, like sort of a delayed honeymoon.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So maybe you can just walk us through what happened between when you were on the podcast last time into now, both with your honeymoon and then how your fasting sort of has evolved over time. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I think as far as like my overall schedule with fasting, I would say I really do one meal a day um or, or like a 4 hour eating window during Monday through Friday so i'm pretty strict on that and then during the on the weekends you know if we got to eat with our family or my wife's family um a little more relaxed on that but try to keep it lower carb just doing like omelets and things like that so you know i, I wouldn't say that i'm like 100% one meal a day cuz i was pretty strict back when we would first talked it was pretty much one meal a day or nothing and i've definitely opened up a little bit more than that um just you know to not miss out on some of the family moments and things like that. So a little more flexible in that sense. Um, and so my work, or I guess, you know, the work week Monday through Friday, I get up in the mornings and work out. Um, cause I found that I can just get a great workout in the morning. I never have to worry about going low or anything like that. And it kind of resets my blood sugars for the day. So I usually walk out of the gym at like 110, 120 and can kind of go on cruise control for the rest of the day. You know, I'm not really waking up, and going and signing on to work with blood sugar in like the 180s or something like that. So um, usually start my day off with a workout. And then if I'm absolutely starving late afternoon, I'll have like a big bowl of Greek yogurt and some zero sugar Cool Whip just to kind of tide me over till dinner. And then, you know, have really the big one meal a day at dinner. Um, And so that's the normal, you know, week of fasting, I guess. And then, as you mentioned, I had that really weird delayed honeymoon where I think I texted you said, like, I think I'm cured, like something's happened. And, uh, it was a week and a half, almost two weeks of, I stopped using insulin completely. Um, I, I wasn't doing any long, I basically put my pump in a drawer and it was the weirdest thing. Um, you know, I went to, uh, a fast food chain and got a giant chocolate shake and drank it. And I had like a small spike, it went up to 160 and then came back down. And I was pretty much just eating whatever, like back to normal life. And, you know, I had texted you and another friend that I have and, you know, relied on you guys like, oh, no, it's, you know, like a weird honeymoon thing. It's like your last stand with your pancreas and whatnot. And that was definitely true. So that unfortunately phased out. And um, from there on, you know, my insulin usage kind of went above and beyond what it was before. So I think uh, my pancreas has officially set sail into the sunset, but um, that's okay because it's more of a, you know, a, a normal standard now across the board where you know, some days I would be producing insulin and so I'd be going low. Um, it's a lot more stabilized now.
0: Um, yeah, that's a very interesting aspect of your story for sure. And I have never heard of it, a honeymoon period being so delayed. Normally it happens like basically right when you get on insulin, your pancreas is like, oh, I can do this again. And then it lasts for a little while. Um, <laughs> I It was very confusing when you texted and you were like, I... <laughs> <laughs> at this late date, I don't need insulin anymore. And I'm like, Oh my God, donate your body to science immediately. Like
1: right? you have, know you, I, you are the cured. I was ready to quit my day job and just be like a, a medical prodigy or something like that. But unfortunately <laughs> yeah. I had to pull the pump out of the drawer and plug it back in. Well,
0: the good thing is, is through all that, before that happened, you had found fasting to do basal testing. Cause I'm sure that during that honeymoon period and like immediately after it was very confusing and you probably had to do a lot of like test basal testing and bolus testing to understand like where your levels were did you yeah. did you find fasting helped you through to like get from one side of the honeymoon to the other side
1: definitely yeah because once you know i started needing the external insulin again um it, it was kind of like a waning period where i still wasn't using as much as i was before that event and now you know, it, it's even more so, or I think just last week I'd upped my ratios a little bit more and I'm still kind of playing with those. So yeah, definitely still utilize fasting, you know, and trying to do like the same meals for a couple of days and fast in between them to see how my body regulates with that. So I, you know, I think you've even mentioned that you still use it for resets every now and then where, you know, something's going on, um, you know, come back from a big trip or something like that. And yeah, I definitely still, that's probably the you know, that's how I got into fasting regularly was trying to do some of those basal resets and, um, still a huge tool that I use.
0: I mean, even if a type one is listening to this and they don't want to dedicate their life to fasting, it's, it really is. Even if you just do it a few times a month to get your levels, right. It's just such a great tool. Like, it, you know, maybe fasting isn't for everybody, but, um, the utility of it for determining your levels. Cause people, I think people don't realize that like, your basal rates change quite frequently. They're not, I mean, for me, well, I'm a total like mystery because I'm going through like perimenopause, but um, my levels change like every single day. But before that happened, it was like every few weeks and it wouldn't necessarily be major, but I would notice, oh, like I feel like I'm running a little higher than normal here or I'm running a little lower than normal here. And I'd have to be constantly like, tweaking things and fasting really is the only way to, to get, to figure it out.
1: No, definitely. And that's kind of where that last week when I made some changes, I'd realized when I was waking up, um, my numbers were just higher. Um, you know, I just constantly, consistently, they were higher and it's just, you know, kind of keeping an eye on your weekly, monthly, whatever quarterly metrics and how much you're using. And kind of bumping it up when needed so it is that's one thing that one of my friends who he's been at type one since he was like six or seven you know he's always like it's going to constantly be changing you're never going to get a ratio and that's it for the next 10 15 20 years because it's going to change monthly it, it'll depend on you know if you have a really stre- stressful month at work you, you may have to up your basal just you know you little tiny things like that can have a, a big impact
0: That's really good advice. And uh, I I hear a lot of people say, well, I feel like my levels are wrong, but I'm going to wait until my next endo appointment in three months and then I'll fix it then. It's like, in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, but in my opinion, you should constantly be testing those rates because they do change so frequently. And if you're waiting every three months,
1: then you're suffering with bad blood sugars for three months when you, you don't really have to. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a safe way to go about it. I mean, like, mm-hmm. should you add, like, an extra couple of units to your basal overnight? No, but, you know, you can add one or two here, or like, you know, point 0.1, point 0.2, and see if there's a noticeable change in that. So, yeah, I mean, I think we know ourselves better than anybody. And, you know, I think we need the freedom to be able to, to change those settings. I mean, there's a reason it's not locked down until you go to your next INDO appointment to make any kind of a change.
0: That's right. So uh, you said your Your primary meals at night or your dinner dinner time meal. What time do mm-hmm. you stop eating at?
1: so we we usually get our son from daycare at five and come home and he goes down at seven. so we're we're usually eating it at like six to six thirty time frame. and that's that's pretty much it. So and depending on, you know, like if we have, you know a a night where we have pizza or something like that, um we'll we'll plan it out where we do a walk afterwards or something like that to try to get insulin really circulating and whatnot. But I think 630 is probably the latest we try to get dinner in by. And
0: are you I know that you I don't know, you've told me different things. It sounds like your diet sort of shifts, like you try to kind of keep low carb, but there are times when you don't like what's your diet like?
1: I think overall, um, it's I mean, like 85% of it is lower carb and then there's just a couple nights where you're craving pizza or you know like I was out with my parents and and wife the other night and there was this huge cheeseburger like a sourdough bun and these huge potato wedge fries I was like yeah that sounds good so there's definitely a couple of the cheat meals that go in there um but overall try to keep it lower carb I mean not like you know 10 carbs 10 grams of carbs a day or anything like that but definitely under 60 70.
0: now do you I'm just I'm I, I I'm thinking back to like when I was your age and I had that, well, I had diabetes when I was your age, obviously. But, um, I, I wonder those, those meals that you have, those like quote unquote cheat meals, do you find that you have worse blood sugars overnight or have you figured out a way to like kind of manage
1: them? So it, it definitely is a like, kind of a a plan where if I know we're going to like someone's birthday party or we're going out somewhere where it's going to be carb heavier, we're going to have pizza for dinner. Um, It's definitely planning out like going to a park and playing with my son before dinner or going for some sort of a walk or mowing the yard, doing something active. Um, If I just had that cheap meal, went about my night like normal and went to bed, um, even if I upped my insulin and did, you know, an extra unit or two before going to bed, I'm still going to wake up in the middle of the night with alarms going off. So, um, but I think the thing I've noticed is that it doesn't roll over multiple days. So like if I have that cheat meal and even if I don't do any kind of exercise or, you know, like walk or something like that before going to bed, um, now I feel like the next morning it's kind of regulated, but before fasting, I felt like it would go on the next day or two. And I'd kind of be on that roller coaster where I do a bunch of insulin and then I drop low and then I'd correct and go way up high. And it was when you got on that roller coaster. And I don't feel like that's the case anymore now.
0: Mm, very interesting. And how many units just, I'm just trying to understand uh, the impact of those meals. And I'm not, not discouraging you from eating them or anything like that. I'm just I'm trying to understand the thought process behind them in case there's people that are listening to this podcast that also do the same thing, which there's no value judgment on how people eat. And I I have a strong suspicion because I ate exactly the same way that you eat now when I was your age, that as time goes on and the longer you have type one, where you'll just be like, I'm not doing these meals anymore. Like it's not worth it to me, but you have to get there on your own, or maybe you'll never get there. Maybe you'll have it so locked down that you just like, I can do whatever I want and I'm fine with it. Um, But I'm just curious, how many units a day do you of insulin do you think you take
1: oh uh so i just upped everything so everything's off um my basal rate on my pump right now is 0. 0.8 an hour so let's just call it 24 units of basal a day yeah. um and because of fasting i don't use all that because you know the pump has this smart algorithm where if i'm right. low enough it won't give me the entire thing so let's call it like 18 to 24 units of basil. And then um, on those meals where I'm having those higher carb meals, I'm probably doing over the course of, you know, eating it and then the corrections afterwards to get my numbers down, I'd say about eight units throughout, you know, a six hour span or something like that.
0: Okay. So you're, you're fairly insulin sensitive then.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And as I've, gone on with fasting and I've lost the weight, I've become more and more insulin sensitive where even my, my ratios now are, um, you know, like when I had first started, when I was in like the 200 pound range, I was using like one to 12 was my ratio. And right now I think I have it as like one to 24, something like that. So it's, I'm using, you know, half as much insulin as I was when I first got diagnosed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the weight loss will play a big part in that too, because as you go down in weight, you, you know, your insulin needs in theory should go down unless mm-hmm. you're a woman going through perimenopause, in which case that doesn't happen. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting how everybody's body reacts completely differently to insulin, depending on male, female stage of life. Like it's just totally wild, but, um, that that's okay. That's a really good baseline. So your weight, your weight loss has been pretty Pretty incredible over time. So what you started? What like two ten? a little
1: something? over. It was like two oh seven or something like that. Uh-huh. That was the last reading that I I had on my phone from like a weight, and that was right before I had been diagnosed.
0: And then you're, and then you 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 showed me your graph. You lost weight in like a very steady, methodical way to yeah. where you are now, where you're maintaining. Where are you now?
1: So I'm at like one right now. I'm at one sixty eight, but I've stayed at the one sixty five to one seventy. Um, for three months now, and it's just been like you know, I'll barely drop a pound and then it comes up a pound, and it's been super steady. And you know, um, to your point, that graph, yeah, it was really cool to see. It was such a steady downward trend where it wasn't like this huge dip or anything like that, it's just you know, it was five six pounds a month, you know, consistently over a year. And um, I've some friends who are nutritionalists, and I'd reach out to them in the very beginning of this, and they were kind of like, you know, just make sure that it's not all coming off at once, and you know that you're eating enough, and you know if you're working out, you're still getting the calories you need, and gave me some really good information in that sense. And I've been, you know, keeping up with them and giving them my progress, and they're like, yeah, that's exactly, you know, what fasting does. It, it's a slow, steady burn, burn of all that fat. So,
0: and do you feel like this is a weight? This is where you're going to end up maintaining at, or do you feel like yeah. you have more to lose?
1: I know I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I ever used fasting, like, obviously I'm excited and happy that that weight fell off. But for me, it was more just the consistency of not going low and high and being on that roller coaster. So, um, for me, it's just an added bonus that I'm at where I'm at now, but you know, I, I'm happy with where I am and I don't really think I want to get any, any lower. And if I did get higher, I I would just hope that it'd be for muscles. So that one sixty five, one seventy is, I think, my sweet spot.
0: Sure, and you're five eleven, is that right? More mm-hmm. there? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, perfect. that's a, that's
0: a really good weight, you know.
1: Yeah, my uh, my primary care and my endo were both super happy with, you know, kind of where my metrics are as far as weight and all that. That's great, and uh, it's I
0: think the key with type one is, it, I don't care if you kept your weight at two oh seven or you keep it at one sixty five. The key is just consistency because when your weight fluctuates a lot, then your insulin needs fluctuate too. And that be- that actually can exacerbate either weight gain or weight loss, you know, because it's yeah. just, you you can't figure out how to, that's a whole nother roller coaster, like the weight
1: loss or weight gain roller coaster. It is. And I think that's one of the the benefits of fasting is, you know, it's a definitely a tool to lose that weight, but you do it slowly over, you know, a consistent amount of time. And so your, your insulin needs aren't drastically changing and you, you know, you're dropping it a little bit here it here and there over the months. And instead of just, you know, if you did like keto, all of a sudden where you were all carb heavy and then you went keto, you're going to lose a ton of weight really quick, but it's going to throw off everything. And it's going to take a lot more to, to try and figure out your ratios and get that dialed back in.
0: I, yeah, I guess that was a follow-up to that that point when you were losing the weight, did you have, you, you were obviously ratcheting down your, your basal rates and your insulin, the carb and insulin sensitivity, you were, you're making all those changes on the way down. Was there ever a period where you felt like you were getting a lot of low blood sugars or that you weren't keeping up fast enough or how did, how did that go? Was it pretty easy to know when to move things?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say I was probably more conservative and changing my numbers than I could have been looking back I probably ran a little higher than you know if I would have you know moved my numbers and dropped things a little bit quicker I probably would have been better off um but I you know I I really didn't want to go low I'd rather be at 200 than at 65 or something like that so especially with with my son because I'm, I'm with him alone sometimes and whatnot so um you know it I probably could have Made some bigger changes, um, but went pretty conservative with it and did really small incremental changes. That's
0: yeah, that's really great. And I think um, I've buried the lead here in that your A1C has been really fantastic over the last year. What what was it at at last check?
1: So my last one was in August and it was at four point eight. Wow. Yeah. So and has your endo
0: ever seen anybody get that low? I mean, you might be his only patient.
1: He, Type one. he said. He said, "With the control that I have, it's the best that he's seen." He said he's, you know, seen a lot of people that have, have just have are low all the time, um, just because they're using too much insulin, so they've got low A1Cs because of that. But as far as like control, um, I'm I'm up there.
0: And you you haven't had it very long, so you are a fast learner. He must be very proud of you as a patient.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's actually been really intriguing because I think when we talked last time, he was kind of, we were buttonheads heads about fasting and he's kind of come full, full course on it where he's really more interested in it in like my day-to-day diet and my routine and things like that. So, um, I feel like, you know, every time we go in there, we have a, a pretty good conversation around fasting and the benefits that I've seen from it.
0: That's really important that you have a, an endo that's supportive of you. I know plenty of people that Endos are just like every other profession, you know, some people are good, some people are bad, so, you know, I think my my dad always says, uh, he's a retired podiatrist, and he says, what do you call the person who graduated last in their class? Doctor, right? The doctor who graduated, doctor, right? So like, right. you know, it, it's finding a good doctor or one that you it connect is.
1: with and that supports you. That's important. Yeah. And I mean, my first endo, I reached out to someone in my community and they had just glowing reviews. They loved him. They'd been going to him for years. You know, I went the first time and didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, he gave me a rundown. And after a couple appointments, I was just like, I don't really like this. You know, I I feel like I'm being talked down to. He didn't want to give me the pump that I thought I needed. And then, so I made the change over to my new doctor and it's for nine days. So I think it is just finding the right one for you. Definitely.
0: I've probably been through in my, over the 26 years that I've had diabetes, I've probably gone through about 15 and some of because I moved and things like that, or I left them to find somebody better. And I have a great endo now, probably the best one I've ever had, but it's really worth it to change to anybody who's listening out there. If you like, and like you, your experience night and day, if you have an endo that is not on your side and is not, you know, er- you should have be able to have productive discussions with your endo about things you want to try. And they should be like, even if they've never had another patient try it, they should be like, you know what? You're doing a good job. Let's give it a shot. If you really want to try it, you're smart. You've done research. It's not going to kill you. So let's, let's try it out. You know, what's the worst that can happen.
1: Exactly. And, and that's how he went about it. He goes, you know, if that's if fasting is something that you think is benefiting you and doing well, like your numbers now look good. You've got good control. You're not you know, high and low all the time. Um, Three months, come back and we'll check it out and make changes if needed. So he was definitely supportive in that sense. And one thing that I that I did, because I know it's scary going in between Indos because they prescribe the life-saving drug that we need. So like they have a lot of power in their hands. And so what I was doing was in the background, I was still seeing that first endo, but I was checking out other indos and making appointments on the back and like kind of doing like a an initial, you know, I told him I didn't need prescriptions day one or anything like that, but just kind of wanted to go in and, and meet with the endos. And that's how I ended up finding the one I'm at now. So was still getting my regular prescriptions, but kind of, I don't know, doing like a speed dating on the, on the side, I guess.
0: That is a brilliant way to go about it. Yeah, that is so smart. Yeah.
1: my One of my, that friend that I referred to earlier, who'd been a type one for, since he was like seven, um, told me that's what he does all the time. So
0: Yeah. I normally would just, you know, never make another appointment with the last endo and then just start with a new one, but the way you did, it makes a lot more sense. I don't know why I never thought of that. That's great advice.
1: Prescriptions going and yeah, not in like a rush to make a decision. So I'm, I was really thankful for that advice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, you know, you've got the 4.8 A1C, you've got your weight where you like it. You've, you've nailed fasting. You have that in a spot that you like. Are there any pieces that you feel are missing or that you are exploring at
1: this point not not necessarily with the type 1 um i've started and that was one of the questions that i had for you is has like fasting opened up any more like health rabbit holes for you because like what i've realized is like i was sleeping terribly my wife and i were staying up late watching tv and then i was trying to go to the gym early in the morning to regulate my blood sugar and i was getting like four or five hours of sleep and that took a toll on me. So I started digging more into like the the benefits and how I can improve my sleep. And so we've, you know, started taking magnesium, we wear blue light glasses when we're watching TV before going to sleep at night. Um, and I started, you know, really making an effort to sleep better. And I found out that my numbers actually got a lot better from sleep. So, and even now when I just, you know, everybody has those nights where you sleep bad, I will, keep an eye on my numbers and they are way more sensitive to where if I have like, even, you know, correct if I'm starting to go low and have like a little glucose tab um, on the nights that I have really poor sleep, my numbers jump up really quickly. It's something that I never thought would really, you know, impact my numbers, but it definitely does looking back now. So, um, you know, from the type one standpoint, I'm pretty dang happy. You know, there's obviously the nights where, or the days where things go off track, you get sick, you have that cheap meal and you're, you guess, you know, your carbs wrong or something like that. Um, But overall, I mean, I'm really thankful for where I am right now.
0: And your numbers prove it that you're in the right spot. So that's, you know, you have that validation and it's not just like your doctor said all from low blood sugars, it's from consistency and lack of variability, which is the key to everything is to just, even if you're, you know, running a little bit higher as, as long as you're, you're off the roller coaster. That's the important thing. The roller coaster is what will get you.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I've like made a lot more peace with where if I am running high or something like that, where it's, you know, I know 95% of the time I'm in a good spot where, you know, things happen. Uh, you know, you get that accidental Coke instead of a diet Coke when you go out to eat or something like that. And, You can't dwell on that. I mean, it it stinks that your phone and your, your pump and all that stuff is going off and making noises, but you know, you'll get through it and you just got to get back on the consistent path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you actually had sent over a really good list of questions and that you wanted to ask. Well, I think we should talk about it with each other because I think you have a different perspective than I do. Um, And you, the question you had asked me and you are, and you answered just now is about whether you've started looking at other health initiatives due to fasting. And I think for me, yeah, I had something similar going on where I feel really tired during the day. And I, I'm i in a weird situation because I can't bifurcate out what's hormones and what's something else going on in my body. But the the good thing with fasting and just having type one is it forces you to really be in touch with your body. Like, I don't know, you, you have a vivid memory of pre-diabetes because you just barely got it. Like you probably- we're never so in touch with your body as you are today,
1: right? No. And, and that's a part of like the sleep and and things like that, where, you know, I've realized that, okay, fasting can improve my numbers in this sense. And so I've started to try to do other things so that I can just feel when it's off. You know, I feel like my, my number's pretty controlled for, you know, 9% of the time. And so it's why, why am I feeling this way? I know it's not my blood sugar. You know, I, my Dexcom says this, I do go into a, a manual fingerprint and it's like, something else is up. So yeah, I, there's definitely like a, a seventh sense of something's weird's going on within my body.
0: Yeah. It it definitely uh, has you on high alert with everything because it's actually blood sugar really is a good tip off. If your blood sugar is off, you know, there's something else going on in the background. It's almost like, I mean, if you want to look at it in a positive light, it's almost like a super skill or super like indicator for other things that are going on in your body. And that people that don't have diabetes don't have that advantage. If you want to say that, yeah. they know, something else is going on with them.
1: Definitely. And so you I, were able I, to I,
0: figure it out with the sleep. I have a similar sleep problem. I actually just yesterday, which really is very annoying, but, um, got diagnosed with like a mild sleep apnea, um, because I'm super tired during the day. And, you know, I think if I hadn't had type one, I probably would have just ignored it and just moved on with my life and said, Oh yeah, all these headaches during in the morning and during the day and having to nap constantly. Yeah, whatever. I'm just getting older. And so what, but now I know it's actually sleep apnea, which if you don't treat sleep apnea, it's actually very dangerous. So
1: it is. Yeah.
0: It was like, Oh wow. Okay. I mean, I guess I'm happy to know I have sleep apnea, but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's good to be in tune with your body.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, aside from the regular things that we do for diabetes, I mean, there are so many extra complications that we're all susceptible to now just because of the autoimmune side of it. Um, And so, yeah, I think I'm definitely on a new level where if something is lingering or not feeling right for an extended amount of time, definitely make that appointment and get it checked out.
0: Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. One of the really one of the best questions on your list that I really like, and I want to ask you this question, your why, what keeps you from sitting on the couch and eating a gallon of ice cream? Um, and, and while you asked something for me about why I don't want to give up, why I gave up like diet soda and things like that, that you could drink as a diabetic and not see a blood sugar impact. But for you, I imagine that your diet, because you did weigh you know significantly more before you started this now and i know you eat lower carb than you did before you got diabetes like what keeps you from just having a pizza every single night
1: yeah and so i think so my why is definitely my wife and my son i think i talked about it a little bit in the last one where um for me the realization was just like i had a low going on my son was with me we were my wife was on a work trip and um i just had to put him in the crib and listen to him cry just because he was safer in there and at that point i was just like this isn't it like i am this this can't be how it goes for the next 40 50 years whatever it is um and so my why i mean why i get up in the morning and go to the gym and try to you know make my diet as good as it can be and keep everything as consistent as i can is just so i don't miss out on those moments i mean um i was you know kind of thinking on what to talk to th- today with you and Um, our fridge has one of those slide out, uh, drawers where it keeps things cool. And I had like half of it just stockpiled with the little apple juice cartons. Um, and you know, I would be sitting on the couch while my wife would be outside playing with my son. And I just kind of was in this pity mode of like, my life sucks. This isn't, you know, like I'm missing out on things and kind of got a little dark and depressed there. And like that apple juice isn't in there anymore. Um, and I think that's what drives me to keep going is like, I'm doing it. You know, I'm I'm not having lows. I'm not missing out on moments with them. I'm able to to take care of him and go to the park and do all those kinds of things without even thinking about it. So that's definitely my why is just being there and being in the moment with them and not having to step back and miss out on things.
0: You've made diabetes less of a, a, you know, focal point. You're managing it so well that it doesn't have to be front and center all the time and you can enjoy your life and do things that are important to you.
1: Right. Yeah. If if I know that we're going to be going to the zoo or, you know, something super active throughout the day, I know that I can just wake up and not eat and not have to worry about it. You know, I'll have that meal at dinner. I'll have my snacks with me if I do go low because we, you know, if you're at the zoo, we're doing something, you're, you are being active. And so, um, but it's a way to just be totally normal and not have to worry about things. You're That's exactly right. It's kind of in the back of my mind where you've got to be aware. You've got to check your numbers and know all those things and keep your supplies with you and have your backups and all that fun stuff. But it's definitely not like the forefront of my mind every single day like it was.
0: That's important. And I think that's also one of my whys uh, is to try to make diet because diabetes, you know, really can become just all consuming because when you don't feel good, you just can't. I remember the story you were telling me from the first interview where you were having trouble just walking around the block like you know and you're like I'm 29 you're, you're 29 at the time you're like I'm 29 years old I can't even walk around the block with my you know with my wife and my son like it's this is ridiculous. Yeah. Is this is my life and um yeah no that's a good reason to to be doing this and this is one of the reasons I do it too. I I there you know you can either you can be anywhere on this the spectrum in terms of control you can be extremely well-controlled like you are, or you can just say F it and just eat whatever you want and try to take insulin to cover it. And I've seen plenty of people go that route too. In fact, I, uh, I was, I just saw my uncle and his, uh, he's, he's like 68 years old now. And his best friend had diabetes. Um, when, when they were growing up, uh, he got, I think his best friend got it when he was like 14 years old. So obviously there was no like technology, there was no pumps, none of that. Anyway, his, his friend just said, I'm living like a normal person. I'm not going to change my diet. I'm going to eat ice cream and pizza and whatever I want all day, every day. And I'm going to pretend like I don't have diabetes. Anyway, long story short, he died when he was like 55 years old, you know, due to complications of diabetes. So that's the other spe- yeah. end of the spectrum. So and you have to make a choice.
1: <laughs> how long do you want to be I here? Can, I can so see how if you don't have the right tools or, you know, knowledge it's easy to pick that other side of the spectrum. I mean, it's easy cause I was doing it. I was sitting on the couch, you know, overcorrecting Cause I, you know, I was in a pity mode. I was drinking town apple juice. I was being, eating a bunch of M&Ms and all this sugar. Um, so I can totally see how you fall into that, where, you know, you're trying, you're trying and then it just doesn't get better. And, um, you know, I think that's why your podcast is, is so amazing and important because I've stumbled upon it. And a year later, I have my whole life back. I mean, I am way healthier than I was a year ago. I mean, granted, I got diabetes, so that sucks. But like overall weight and that kind of stuff, (laughs) um, I'm a way healthier person than I was.
0: That's that's great. And I've I've heard that from more than one person that diabetes has actually made them healthier, ironically, than Yeah.
1: I mean, like you said, I'm so much more in tune with my body and my health and things going on. So I wish it would have happened with, you know, like breaking my leg rather than getting diabetes, but you know, I'm here. So
0: that's right. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a great question. Um and then you ask back to me because do you drink do you drink things like diet soda or are you off that too?
1: I do. I drink I have a very bad relationship with Diet Soda. Um, you know, and I my wife listened to your Diet Soda quitting podcast and like she gave me one of those looks and like looked at me and didn't even have to say anything. I was like, yeah, I know. Lucy did it, so I probably have to do it now too. So been, hey,
0: I'm 43 years old. You know, like you, have, I, I remember. I believe me, I didn't like even broach that addiction until much later in my life. So don't worry about
1: it. Yeah, it's it just it's one of those where you know, like even though it doesn't have all the sugar and it doesn't impact your numbers, it still can't be that good for you. So I think it's on my list of things that I do definitely want to conquer and try to cut out. To where maybe it's just when we go out to eat or you know a special occasion or something like that. I. I can't say that I can cut it out completely like you have, but maybe like the midday lunch Coke or something like that, or Diet Coke, I can cut out. So that's on the list. uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, did you listen to that episode with Meta Gorman, um, the Life After Sugar podcast host?
1: No. If you haven't, you might want to. Because she
0: talks about something that's really interesting, um, which are moderators and abstainers. Like Some people can just do things in moderation. I'm not one of those people. Um, and other people have to abstain from them completely. Um, okay. So for me, I could never be like, oh, I'll cut out the diet coke at lunch, and then I'll, I can still have. I was out of control. It was like morning till bedtime, just diet coke all day, every day. So I had to stop. <laughs> yeah, there was just no in between for me. But if you feel like you can moderate, then do it. You know,
1: that'll be another one that I'll have to keep you updated on because I, I can see myself being that same way where it's like, you know, I'll start off really strong and just have one at lunch, and then but like, oh well, you know. I'll have one at dinner too. And then before you know, it, you're back on the train. So may have to just be a cold Turkey thing.
0: Right. Right. Well, if you want to, you can, if you need help, I'll help you. It's a, uh, it's, oh, it's one of those things. It's like a withdrawal situation where you will feel it. And I, you know, what's weird is I stopped drinking diet. I can't remember if I stopped sugar in March or diet Coke in March. One of them was in March. One of them was in April. Uh, but whatever it is, the diet Coke thing was
1: harder for me to quit than the sugar. And I think that's it for me is that I know it's going to suck. Like, it's one thing that you could definitely do. But for me, it's like that last grasp of normality where it's like, I can drink it and it won't do anything to my blood sugars. And it's so I don't know. I think that's the mental block that I have from dropping it. But in the forefront of my mind, I know it's something I need to do.
0: Well, in due time, you've done a lot of work. You've made a lot of progress. So just go easy on yourself whenever you feel like it. If you ever feel like it. Fine. No judgment.
1: Well, I'll shoot you a text so you can hold me accountable. Be
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. When you want to quit, let me know. Cause it is not a fun process to come off it, but I will tell you now we're in November. Uh, I don't, I don't miss it at all. And I, I don't really see a reason to go back.
1: Yeah. And I think that's you know true with anything where like, where we go to like a birthday party or something. Now I truly just have no desire to go and get cake. I mean, not only because of the aftermath that you'll have for the numbers, but it just, it's been so long the desire is not there. Like that taste bud is just gone. It's just that itch isn't there. So I'm sure it's just another one of those with time. It'll, it'll fade.
0: It is. It is. Well, good luck to you if you decide to try that. Um, <laughs> and then you wrote a really good question in here, uh, that, that I, I struggle with. How often do you have a roller coaster day? And then how often do you throw in the flag and not let diabetes be at the top of your mind? And where, How often does that happen for you?
1: So, I mean, I think because I work in those meals with, you know, like we'll have a pizza for dinner, you know, once every two or three weeks or something like that. I think because we cut those in um, for the most part, not that often. We're just like an out of the blue, like we're at the mall and go and get like a cookie from the cookie store or something like that. I don't really have those days. Um, So I wouldn't say... Too often. Um, Usually, whenever I get on the roller coaster, it's something that I have done and acknowledged myself that I'm just going to be on it. You know, if if we do have that pizza for dinner and I don't go for a walk, I'm setting myself up for multiple alarms throughout the night. Um, So, like, just days where when I first got diagnosed where it's like a never-ending high and low thing, I really don't feel like I'm on that as much. Um, Those are pretty controlled um, it's just whenever, you know, I do say not tonight, I'm just going to go and and eat ice cream or whatever like that. Um, so, um, pretty, pretty controlled on the roller coaster, I'd say.
0: That's great. I wish I could tell you the same for myself. I, really? <laughs> it is not true for me. It used to be true for me, but I think like, you know, with the hormones that I have going on, that's the thing with diabetes. It's just, and that's one of the things I'm trying to, um, kind of put forth in this podcast, because like, I'm doing everything right. And I'm still on the roller coaster. And it's just because certain things are out of your control. And hopefully during the course of your life, you know, men don't have the same hormonal shifts that women do. So there's a pretty good chance that if you just kind of keep on the same path that you're on, that you'll just, you know, be able to just coast like this for the whole rest of your life, which would be awesome. But there may be times when like, if you're going through severe stress or whatever, where it's just, It's not even what you're eating or it's not that you're not fasting or something like that. It's like sometimes blood sugars, there's other variables that impact blood sugars. And so I feel like I'm on the roller coaster quite a bit, not due to anything I'm just doing. It's just my body is like kind of in a weird state right now.
1: Yeah. And so I might have answered that one wrong. So I was talking more of like a self-inflicted roller coaster of eating something. Um, They're like I did interviews a long while ago for a job. And it was like four interviews throughout the day. My numbers didn't below get below three hundred that entire day. No, no amount of in, insulin was going to bring me down. It was just my stress and cortisol was up that day. So there's definitely days like that. Um, you know, like when our son was born, insulin didn't do anything. I mean, the I think the stress is probably the biggest thing for me. Or like if we have some big event coming up, um, my numbers are going to be elevated. And to your point, sometimes there's just nothing that you can do about it. So there's definitely those days where it's just like. You just got to accept it and move on and, you know, try again tomorrow in some instances.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I mean, in terms of like, for me, cheat days and things like that, I um, I don't know if you've listened to any of the interviews with uh, Mike Fitzpatrick. He's also mm-hmm. type one. Yeah. yeah. So he and I keep in touch, uh, you know, over time. And I remember last Thanksgiving, I, I texted him and I was like, I'm really disappointed in myself. I just totally just pretend like I didn't have diabetes today. And I was up all night long with really, a really bad roller coaster. And I haven't destroyed my body in that way since then. And I'm like this, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up again soon. So I'm like, I'm definitely not going to do that again. It's just, sometimes you need those reminders. Like it's become like, I used to destroy my body constantly when I was like, you know, cause I got diabetes when I was 17. So, right. and I didn't have the technology. So I didn't even know I was destroying my body. I was probably running it 300 all day and not even realizing it. Um, But like my impulse to do those things is like far, far, far less. Cause I, it's like, it's like when you keep learning a lesson over and over and over again, at some point you're just like, I don't want to learn this lesson anymore. I know how this ends and it's not good.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm starting to kind of get into that where like that cheeseburger I told you about that I had a couple of weeks ago with my parents and wife, that that was one of those nights where every 10 minutes, my alarms are going off. You know, like I was thinking, do I just need to go up and go walk two miles around the block at two AM in the morning to get this thing to, to shut up? Um, and so I think I've tried to open up my window a little bit more and have some more of those like freedom meals or whatever. And I'm starting to kind of get to that, like, all right, we need to dial it back. Like it's it's not worth it as much as you thought, you know, the burger's not that good, you know, for the six hours of alarms going off later on in the night. So um I think I need to kind of find a, a dial it back a little bit. Um, but you know, there's, there's definitely the times where you just have it. And yeah, I think you make it, you make a good point though. Like I never go and just have like a, a table full of sweets or anything like that. Cause it's just 100% not worth it.
0: It's not. And you know, it's, it's all about time that you've had diabetes and lessons that you learn over time. You're still really, really new at having diabetes and you're really doing a great job. So you really don't have that much to change. It's just little tweaks that you're going to make along the way if you want to make them. And if you don't, and for you, if if it's like, Hey, look, my son's birthday party is happening. And I feel like eating a piece of pizza and having a slice of cake, like fine. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not the end of the world. Like you can have those. It's just, I think over time, the more time you have diabetes, you you're at some point, your brain will just be like, that's it. No more. We're not doing this anymore.
1: Yeah. And, and so you've totally cut out sugar, right? I mean, yeah. Like, I you've... mean,
0: on occasion I will have something, but I, I know I'm not a moderator. I, I know I can't have okay. it in moderation, so I have to stop, but like, right. I'll tell you, um, you know, I had like a piece of cake. It wasn't, it was actually something I, that was uh made with like almond flour and erythritol. So it wasn't like, it was like low impact to, to blood sugar. It wasn't like a cake made with flour and real sugar or anything like that. And I had a slice of that cake. couple months ago and um and the next day was like a friend's birthday and I had another slice of cake also low carb situation but then the next day I was like where's my piece of cake like you know like you just you quickly you know get back onto that and it took me like a few days to be like I you know don't eat that anymore like you have to stop so it's hard um
1: you think that was the lever of just like it's not worth it anymore I mean like obviously you enjoyed it but it just it's not worth it. And so that's, yeah, it's not that worth was, it. Even, that even was the it, motivation to stop the sugar yeah. and that kind of stuff.
0: Well, and it's not even that those things impacted my blood sugar. It's that it makes me crave sweet things. And then, I mean, I don't have to tell you or anybody who's listening, who's fasting, like if you have like a pretty short eating window, if you're filling it with all kinds of like cake, even if it's like low impact on blood sugar, if it's almond flour and you know, the artificial sweeteners and things like that, like you you don't have a lot of room for other stuff. So you're forfeiting eating protein or so, something more nutritious and vegetables or something if you're eating all that.
1: So yeah, I was like, I makes, need
0: to keep my nutrition up, you know,
1: it, make, it makes that next window really tough, you get a lot hungry, a lot quicker, and the cravings are a lot worse.
0: That's right. Yeah. So if I do eat something like that, now, which is, like I said, pretty rare, I try to make sure that it's not the full on, flour and sugar and stuff that I know I my body just cannot handle yeah and and honestly I forgot how to dose for that stuff so really it's hard yeah like if I if I eat something like that like um I went out and I had a like a pita with like some lamb gyro and like hummus in it and I ate like maybe like a quarter of the pita bread and I don't ever eat bread anymore ever and I was like my blood sugar was a mess because I don't remember how to bolus for it anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Cause not all foods created equal. So yeah, it definitely, you have to play with some of the ratios for the, the different meals. And if you don't eat it, you know, you've lost a couple pounds It it definitely can be impacted really quick. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, and then you wrote a really interesting question about how, you know, you don't just scream to the world that but- how great
1: fasting is, <laughs> right. holding them up against the wall. Like all you have to do is fast. Like,
0: so yeah.
1: I wanted to pick your brain on that because, you know, I'm in a bunch of different communities and people will say like, I'm having these issues and this and that, or there's even the people that like, say low carb is stupid, dangerous for type ones, or you have to have three meals a day and snacks in between. And you know, like, it seems like kind of the old school way of thinking about type one, which I can understand when you were you didn't have the smart pumps and the technology and things that we have now where it's like, you know, you do your basal injection and I can see how at that point having snacks throughout the day may have been needed to keep your numbers from dropping. So like, there's that, but I don't know. How do you go about not screaming it from the mountaintops and like getting into Facebook fights with people and stuff like that, but still approaching people and helping if you can.
0: It's like anything else. Like when somebody's ready to control of their health, then they're more open to suggestion. It's like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Certain times in your life, you just don't want to know this information. You just hit a brick wall. But when you're a person is receptive to it, then you know, then you actually have a fighting chance. Certain people are just not ready for it, and they may never be ready for it. But somebody that's truly interested in lowering their A1C, getting off the roller coaster, you know, just living a better life, then you have a, a fighting chance of like convincing them. Fasting isn't the only way. Like there's also yeah. just eating lower carb and things like that. Like there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. Part of me wishes I had become an endocrinologist because I would be like, everybody <laughs> needs to fast, you know?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So it's hard. I agree with you because you know, you know, from personal experience, that this is the right way to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a tool that's out there that I just don't think is is preached and to your point i mean it's not for everybody you know for some people just it you couldn't pay them enough to to fast even if you know they didn't have diabetes or anything else going on it just not interested in it and so um you know it is hard in that sense where it's like to understand that some people just it's not worth it you know they're just gonna to ball up and accept what it is and and not even give it a chance but um i don't know that that was One of the things that I've always wondered is, you know, how you don't go screaming it from the mountains. And I've just really appreciated the way that you've gone about your podcast and and all that while, you know, you're giving real life stories from type ones and type twos. And, um, you know, it's it's here's the information. Take it if you want it. You know, if if it's not something that you're interested on, you know, you don't try to force it on anybody, but it's real life stories. And, you know, most of them are pretty dang successful of people who lost weight brought down their insulin usage, you know, gotten rid of type two diabetes. I mean, there's been several podcasts that you've hosted that, you know, are huge success stories like that. And so, um, I don't know, it's one of those where I wish that, you know, you could just broadcast it on signs down the highway or something like that. Like, Hey, if you have type one or type two diabetes, look into fasting. Um, but you know, obviously, like you said, you can't make everybody listen or, you know, they may just not be up to it. So, um,
0: yeah, I think planting the seed is the important part. In fact, um, a friend of mine, she lives in Atlanta and I had been, this is a really long story, but I'll, I'll condense it. I She'd actually introduced me to fasting a really long time ago, but dirty fasting. And she only did it for like a month. I only did it for a little while. And then I stopped fasting and then I came back to it later. Anyway, um, very recently, like within the last two months or so, she's like, I have all this stubborn weight. I wanna lose, she does not have diabetes she's like, I want to try fasting again. How do you do it? And I told her about the clean fast. I told her to buy Jen Stevens books and, you know, Dr. Jason Fung's read all of his stuff. Anyway, long story short, she's now fasting and having really great results with it. And she's like, how come I didn't know about, like, how come I didn't like listen to you sooner? And it's really a case of you have to be ready for it. So it's, you know, it's kind of bittersweet because once people realize like how useful this tool is, They just wish they'd been doing it all along, but you really can't force people. They come to it in their own time.
1: Yeah. I mean, my mom is a a similar story to that. I, you know, I told her I'm going to start doing this. I've seen good benefits over the last couple of months. I'm really going to take it serious. And, you know, like everybody, she's like, you know, just be careful. Make sure you're eating enough. And, you know, if you're lightheaded and all that kind of stuff, take precautions. And like six or seven months into me doing it seriously, she got on the train too. And she's been doing it for. Probably six months now. And you know, she had done keto and weight watchers and all that kind of stuff, and it was the same thing where she just had some stubborn weight that she couldn't get rid of. And now she doesn't even do it for the weight loss. It's just truly because she feels better. So it's it truly is when people just come around to it. you know, sometimes they see the the weight that you've lost and that's their motivation. And other times it's hearing stories like, I heard on your podcast. they're like, okay, I need to actually put my foot down and, and give this a shot.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's right. Um, well the time has just flown by. I uh, would, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? You're such a thoughtful person and you, I know you give a lot of, you know, you have a lot of insights on this and you've been doing this, it, even though you've only been doing it for a year, I feel like for whatever reason you're, you're on like an accelerated track. So you just seem like you know a lot more than, you know, your one year would suggest. Is there anything that you want to say that I've missed, maybe relating to fasting or type one or anything that you want to say, really?
1: I mean, I I think just a lot of what we've touched on is, you know, taking it into your own hands. And if something doesn't feel right, you know, reach out. I I've, I'm so thankful a for the people that I've met like yourself and my friend who, you know, has been type one for shoot. He's probably been 25, almost 30 years now. And so, you know, it's, Finding people like that, I think that's a huge thing that are in the same boat because you know your spouses, your family, your close friends, they they can relate to you to a certain extent. But until you know someone else is truly going through the same disease that you have, I think having a community helps a ton. So I'm super thankful for you. You've answered many of my texts with questions and and my cure that I went through a couple months ago. So I, I really appreciate you for that. And then you know um, I just. I think that the I've lucked out with where we are with technology. So it's super interesting talking to yourself and you know my that other friend who who has had it for a while with how much things have changed. I feel you know, so grateful for the the technology that I have in my pocket right now that pretty much regulates it on a daily basis for me. So um you know it's I appreciate you sharing your back history and you know, how hard it can be. You, even for a different sex you know there's things that you've mentioned that are going on that I wouldn't have even thought about so it's just been really great having you as a as a resource and friend over the last year
0: absolutely and it's been great knowing you too and I'm always so proud of you when I see your texts and you're just doing so 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 well like you're really like a great example of you know life not being over when you get type one I mean you kind of especially if you're new at you know I, you know, having type one, it just, it feels like such a serious, heavy situation, which it is, but it doesn't have to be the end of your life. And I think you've just proven that.
1: Yeah. I I think that's really important because that's what it felt like for a little bit. You know, it's just like, this is something that I'm never going to be able to shake. You know, there's a lot of experimental things going on, but for the most part, I just pretty much have accepted that this is something we're going to have to deal with. You know, I don't know that even if I could get some sort of like a transplant or, or some of the stem cells going on, I mean, it's all interesting and exciting, but at the same time, I'm, I don't know, kind of at peace with where I am at right now. And like you mentioned, you know, it's only been two years and things can definitely change and will change as the years go on. But, um, it by all means right now, this last year has been really good. So I'm in a in a good spot.
0: Yeah. And even if things do change for you, like they change for me, the good thing about us is we're both curious people. We're intelligent people. We research things, um, you know, no matter what diabetes will never like get the best of us. We will always be on top of things. And I know that about you. Um, and that's why I'm just so sure that you're going to live like a long and happy, successful life with type one.
1: Well, I sure hope so. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you will. You will for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on again, Josh. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Maybe in another few months or six months, we'll see how you're doing. Cause I'm I'm just so um, you know, fascinated with all of the things you've been able to learn over such a short period of time.
1: Definitely. We we will definitely stay in touch and I'll let you know if if a second cure comes around for me and if I do finally take the step <laughs> to to kick the diet soda I'll
0: let <laughs> okay, you know good. when that happens. All right, thanks so much for coming on.
1: All right. I will talk to you later.
0: Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.